Well, I've well, got well. some porridge here. I've got some porridge, and it's it's made with almond milk instead of real milk. Oh, yeah, because yeah, well, because they tell me that I shouldn't be drinking as much milk, and I'm like, Pah, I'm going to continue drinking just as much milk, and then I'm like, wait a minute, why does my mouth taste horrible all the time? Oh yeah, I'm not I'm not supposed to. I don't I don't know if I'm lactose intolerant, but I'm like, my body just doesn't really like it, so I'm trying other stuff. Oh, <laughs> good, isn't it? <laughs> this is a good. What a what a good podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what's wrong with my computer and body. Yeah. I mean, I I'm going to Japan next week. So oh, yeah. a lot of time this week has been spent on just uh, looking at what I can do when I'm there. And right. uh, and by that do you mean playing yakuza to get uh, ready? <laughs> well, that's what I've been doing the other time, which is I guess the same. <laughs> And uh, I guess I'll watch some documentaries as well, but those aren't, they're not film documentaries. Mm -hmm. They're the stuff that Frontline puts out, like a four-hour documentary about why Iran and Saudi Arabia are angry at each other. It's like, oh, it's a great documentary, but it's it's not the one that you can commonly, like, uh, talk about in the same way as, like, um, uh, something that ran in the cinema. Yeah, that's the sort of thing where if you talk about it, what you're talking about is the facts of the case that it's about rather yeah. than the documentary itself, which is fine. That's that's perfectly fine. You're allowed to talk about sensible things, but yeah, it seems a bit heavy that why yeah. are people at war? Hmm. Let's talk about something stupid instead. Ray. So uh, this week, just to start with a fluffy topic, mm-hmm. pirates uh, noticed that. Uh, Amazon have been reducing the video bitrate on all their video streaming shows because, you know, they have Prime Video, their competitor to Netflix. That hasn't taken off in any meaningful way. They have a bunch of original shows. Can you name any of them? (laughs) No, I can't. But I do. um, My whole experience with uh, Prime Video is that obviously I don't have it because that would mean signing up to Amazon Prime, which at this point... The way the amount of times they've bullied me into signing up to it, including the time they signed me up to it when I explicitly clicked no, don't, and then charged me 70 something quid, and then refunded the 70 something quid, but I had from the off said no. And the fact that they've done that to other people that I know as well, and that it is how it's set up to work. Um, I'm, I find it almost like a moral thing that I don't try Amazon Prime Video at this stage, but. I am constantly, uh, I do, not constantly, but I do often hear people going like, what, you don't have Amazon Prime Video? Or, it's on Amazon Prime, you can watch it there. As if, you know, people have it as a, as a normal matter of course. There are quite a lot of people who do have Amazon Prime, and it just, it's so strange to me that anyone would bother. Yeah. And uh, over here, there's uh, no official Amazon yet. They're building warehouses in Sweden, so it seems they're oh. going to launch maybe sometime mm-hmm. this year, or maybe next year. Either that or Sweden just acts as a good tax haven uh, now that the European laws have changed. Yeah. (laughs) So if I want to use Amazon Prime, I have to go to primevideo.com and sign up for the service separately. (laughs) It costs like six euros a month. So they're kind of undercutting um, Netflix. But I've looked at their service and one of their problems is you look at everything they have and there's nothing you want to watch. And oh. the, the only thing they do have is like they've been they're doing a laughably poor job of communicating that the, they license a bunch of anime 
And in the US, what they decided to do was to launch a separate anime streaming service called Anime Strike. So people who had Prime Video had to sign up for a different streaming service. And uh, they had very poor marketing and their layout of their site was bad. So nobody knew this existed. Uh, There's one way that I understand that move. And it's if the anime is also on Amazon Prime. But if all you want is anime, then you can pay a little bit less, like for you, you know, for your kids. But you don't want Amazon Prime, and then they'll be like, "Well, at least we're making three quid off that person rather than six. But no, you're saying that they took it off the the normal Amazon Prime. Yeah. Okay. And, and people who had like Crunchyroll and like Amazon Prime and were like, "No, I'm not paying for this," and so they shut down the service. I think earlier this year or late last year it happened pretty recently and here in sweden at least on prime video they just had all their anime shows there organized poorly (laughs) but they they were good shows they have a bunch of great shows there um but that's about it uh, apart from that, it's old archive stuff. Like, oh, do you want to watch Seinfeld? <laughs> it's like, no. It's like a, a sad, pathetic version of a streaming service. And it seems that even though Amazon have all the money, hmm. it's not enough for them to run their streaming service because they're reducing the bitrate. They're cutting costs. Oh, God. And because it's such a promising... Sorry, just to swerve yeah. back a moment. It's a very promising idea if you didn't know this about it the the concept of amazon having a streaming service sounds like what that means is that the stuff you could buy from amazon on disc you could just stream from amazon instead yeah that's what it sounds like but it isn't is it no because uh, of course like netflix it's rights for shows that mm. go in and out shows appear and disappear and aren't available in all, re- all regions it's only their original shows that they original in giant quotation marks like their anime yeah. shows <laughs> well and it's the same with netflix i mean yeah you're not talk- what you're talking about isn't too different from netflix i mean netflix is largely this giant bin of stuff you'd never want to watch but then there's a couple of things you do want to watch and it's just enough to warrant the continue the continued uh, like subscription you know much like the bbc it literally only makes doctor who and a couple of comedy panel shows that i would ever watch but because of that, I'm paying like a hundred something pounds a year because I want that. <laughs> yeah, like the only thing I watch on like Swedish television is the uh, licensed frontline shows because they show up pretty quickly there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Amazon doesn't have as aggressive of a push to make original shows, so they don't have a steady stream of new stuff and new surprising stuff. It's, it's that, instead it's stuff you've never heard about. And it's not enough. And I suppose they don't have as much of an incentive because with Netflix, it is all they have to offer. Whereas Amazon already run like a third of the world. So it's fine yeah, if they and, don't have a very good streaming service. Yeah, and Amazon's interface is also very poor. It feels uh, primitive, like they haven't worked on it properly. Well, I find that with, with some of Amazon anyway. Like mm. with <clears throat> Usually all you do with Amazon is you type a thing into the bar and it shows up and you click it and that's that. And that, that bit is fine. But... You know, you ever tried going into your account and then you get this giant list of, well, I don't know if you have because you don't have it in Sweden, but you get this whole page of just menus of stuff that I've literally never clicked any of it. I don't know what any of it is, except for the one that's like your standing orders. There's it. Yeah, it's a very 
busy and complicated interface. Anytime you step out of that basic type, click, buy. Yeah. Like, they've been making stupid separations on their streaming site where shows are listed twice instead of having the quality automatically shift up and down bet- hmm. depending on the quality of your connection they have 1080p and 4k versions of shows listed separately as two se- different shows oh no yeah. oh, i don't like that <laughs> yeah so Ugh. you search for a show like oh i want to watch this and there's like the normal version and the 4k version it's like why who thought this Ugh. was a good idea <laughs> No, I mean, there's there's a precedent for that, because I think that's how TV works. It's actually been a number of years now, thanks to Netflix, um, since I've had like TV of this sort. But when we had a Skybox, there would be like BBC One, BBC Two, BBC... But then you scroll down through all the normal channels, and then you get to BBC One HD. And you're like, yeah, finally, this is, this is what I think is BBC One. And that, there was no... I don't know why it was listed like that, because... If you if you had the HD box, why would you ever watch the non HD version of the channel except to compare, I suppose? But oh well. Yeah, it seems the the final hurrah for Amazon streaming service are going to be their Lord of the Rings TV show. Oh yes. Yeah. Did you watch the Lindsay Ellis Hobbit videos yet? I watched one of them. the The third one dropped yesterday, and it's so interesting it's so good make sure you do watch it because i mean you can watch this on the plane to japan or whatever because um it the first two are like well you know what the first one was and then the second one is similar it's this it's this deep deep dive into like what's wrong with the films if there's anything right what is it and so on the third one is nothing to do with like criticism of the film and it is instead um an, or like a little mini documentary with interviews and news clips about how the Hobbit films basically ruined the film industry in New Zealand by changing a law so that Warner Brothers doesn't really have to pay actors anymore. In and it's honestly it's this fascinating story about like unionization and what happens if you don't do it and what happens when you try and do it and the big businesses are expect are used to you not doing it and it oh it's so interesting and it kind of you get warning if you like the hobbit films maybe steer steer clear because you'll get to the end and not only will you not like the hobbit films you'll be like morally opposed to watching them (laughs) who likes the hobbit films exactly so it's fairly safe (laughs) i mean it's like you you remember they came out and it's like oh yeah that happened (laughs) well and one of the things that they um that they talk about in the documentary is um is how um the actual Lord of the Rings trilogy is kind of harmed by the Hobbit trilogy. And I never thought about it before, but yeah, I've, I used to watch it quite a bit. I used to think very highly of it. And I've just, I kind of don't care anymore because I associate it as part it's a Star Wars effect. The pre, whatever, you, whatever you think of the prequels, it did diminish the brand a bit. And they've been working yep. recently to try and get it back. Um, now, of course, the other reason is that I want to watch it in uh, 1080p. I'm lucky enough, quote-unquote, not to have a 4K TV, so 1080p is all I need to worry about. And um, and the Fellowship of the Ring Blu-ray is ruined by a weird green filter, so I can't. So I basically can't watch it. Unless someone... Oh, maybe someone's done a colour-corrected, like, piratey version that I should watch. Because 
when you know I'd I would I'd be prepared to buy the Blu-rays and then watch that version to keep things as legal as possible because when you grow up like that when you release a film wrong and of course they're giving it the oh this is actually how it originally was in the cinema you just don't remember and everyone's going no <laughs> and if it was we don't want it this is the version we want yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway so mm. amazon are cutting costs and disney are threatening to launch their own streaming service in a few years and they're saying they've that, been threatening that for ages yeah and they're, they're saying that they're gonna jank all their shows off of netflix when they do and such as what what are they i assume we're not just talking about cartoons are we we're talking about anything they happen to subsidiarily own uh yeah uh, all, all, all the um i guess cartoon pixar and then um, the uh, marvel stuff Oh, of course. Oh, there we go. Yeah, of yeah. course. And I guess now because Disney owns so many movie studios, I guess this could include like everything Fox has, <laughs> so everything Star Wars related. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure it will definitely be Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. If you would, if you were Disney and you were launching a new service, of course you would make Star Wars exclusive to it. Yeah, definitely. I'm just wondering if there's other weird stuff like you know what if like you know because they own ABC and stuff, or at least they did at one stage. You mm. know. I wouldn't. I'd be, you know, something, something that's attacked, like Roseanne or something. That awful new reboot that could disappear and be a Disney exclusive. I don't know who owns that. <laughs> yeah, and um, this doesn't feel like it will succeed. But Apple are going to launch their own streaming service. And uh... oh no! Right. See, the problem is here. The the thing the the reason we want streaming, the reason we all flock to Netflix, is everything under one roof. As soon as you've got different streaming services, that is the same thing as TV. We'll just forget it. We'll just sh- sh- turn it all off, cancel all the subscriptions, go back to watching what's on TV. No, nobody wants this. Nobody wants multiple streaming services. I get that all the companies want to launch them. Makes perfect sense that Apple would want to launch one, but that that fundamentally isn't what people want. It actually, I, I can see the Disney one. I mean, that's just guaranteed to succeed. That's going to work, and I think people will bend their own rules for that. I don't think I would, but I I can see why I might, and I can see why most people, certainly families all would. I can see why most people would. Um, but when it just becomes random other company now has a streaming service, like Amazon, who cares? No, we're not interested in that. We're interested in... not. We're not we're Nobody cares about Netflix, the corporation. That's the thing. No one cares about any corporation. We care about what we can be, what we can have because of them. And Netflix is this one place where all the films and TVs are, and we just watch them. And if they're not on Netflix, we don't watch them. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'll go to Vimeo to browse their great <laughs> selection of videos to watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other day, um, because of the um, because of the sort of kerfuffle about it. I wanted to watch The Truth About Apu. Is it The Truth About Apu? Whatever it is about Apu, the documentary. And uh, Yeah, uh, not a poo, like uh, <laughs> the ones Mr. PSB has been having, uh, but the, the, uh, the Simpsons character. Yes, and um, yeah, it, and it isn't anyway. It wasn't on Netflix. That was a disappointment. I thought it probably was. Um, wasn't on YouTube. And in the end, yes, it was on Vimeo. And at that point, I just had to give up because I, how do you put, how do you make Vimeo be on my TV? I don't have cast to screen with Vimeo. Um, actually, theoretically, I should do because there's an app that apparently does it, but it just doesn't. It just for some reason doesn't. It won't recognize my Bravia. So um, that was that. 
I mean, we did watch it on the computer, but like that was pretty much that for our meal. And that represents so many times when you've gone like, well, let's see if this is on Netflix. Type, type, type. No, it isn't. And then your next point is, shall I sign up to Amazon? Shall I buy it on iTunes? No, I'll put another episode of Next Generation on Netflix. That's on Netflix. Yep. (laughs) Well, Apple are doing a TV. They're funding a TV series adaption of uh, Asimov's Foundation Trilogy. Oh, and it's like, whoa. And it's like, ooh. And then it's like, made by David Goyer. And it's like, oh no. <laughs> now, I know the name. Tell me why. <sighs> I'm going to have to refresh myself. It's it's the uh, guy who was involved with uh, all the Nolan uh, Batman movies. Well, those are good. Uh, yeah. And uh, he was involved with the Blade films. And he uh, directed Blade Trinity. Hang on, I thought people liked those as well. What's the problem? Uh, well, the problem with him is that when he's given too much power, yes, things turn into the worst ever. Oh dear! But when he's paired correctly with someone who can uh, takes what's good about what he writes and then can rips it apart and decrapifies it, then it becomes good. Like he wrote Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> mm, right. He also wrote Man of Steel. Yeah. Okay, I see. All right. Okay. So that's, yeah, that is not necessarily going to be good. I suppose with a book adaptation, you if you're following the story, there's less scope to really ruin it, but okay. Yeah, I mean, he. this is more of a name that's like, worrying it's like okay this could be great this could be absolute trash it depends on who he's paired with <laughs> it's it's not like yeah. when some other writer shows up and you look at their track record and it's like oh it's all good stuff instead this person makes trashy stuff and then i torpedoed it because i had a related thing to talk about but yeah um amazon have this lord of the rings thing they're doing yeah and it just the hobbit wasn't good but lord of the rings was like like industry changingly good it's a very 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 good trilogy and it and it addressed the question of how do you film an unfilmable thing how do you bend it into a shape that actually works on screen um and so they won't be able to follow that model or if they do it'll be obviously derivative and so on and so on and so on it's just a silly idea. No, don't make it. Don't do Lord of the Rings now. I know I'm old, so to me it feels recent. But like, it's it is. No, it's still it's still too good to remake at this stage. Yeah, <clears throat> remake it's, the Hobbit by all means. It's like when they made Mac Enemy and they <laughs> presented it as it's ET for a new generation. <laughs> yeah, I, no, it was the same generation. That was I was I was the generation that it was. And yeah. I liked both of those films, admittedly. Yeah. yeah, it was like I don't know. They made Mac and Me like eight years after ET. I was like, oh, it's for a new generation. It's been almost ten years. <laughs> God, was it that long? Yeah. Oh, I know why I'm. I tell you why I think of them as closer together. It's because ET was like I, I want to say notoriously difficult to get hold of because it was never on TV here anyway. And it hadn't been released on video until about 
I want to say I want to say the same year. It was around then. I remember my my mum actually heard that it was out to rent, and she heard of a shop where they were selling off like rented videos, presumably not legally. And she went there to see if they would give her ET, and they wouldn't. Well, that doesn't sound like my mum. She would never have acted outside the boundaries of the law, even on a small scale like that. But presumably, she was off to ask about the situation and came home and reported it. But like, yeah, no, it was very difficult to get E.T. And then, bong, it comes out on video, great fanfare, and bong, here's Mac and me, probably the following year, or maybe two, or something like that. Oh. So, yeah, to me, they felt like they came out at exactly the same time, because before that, E.T. had just been this thing you'd heard of and had toys of, but hadn't ever actually seen because you were a baby. Mm. By the way, I watched Mac and me for the first time, like, last year. Huh. It's surprisingly entertaining. I actually recommend it. Yeah, I, honestly, I think it's really good. Yeah, it's a- not in the way not in the way where I think it's really good. Like E.T. That's a really good film. Mac and Me isn't a really good film, but it isn't a film that you're gonna have a an unpleasant time watching. There's there's characters in it who you are gonna have a perfectly you're gonna you're gonna be fine uh, like empathizing with them and spending time with them. Yeah, others others you'll be irritated <laughs> by, but it'll be funny. It's kind of, it's like Short Circuit. Isn't it? It's about like that. Yeah, and what surprised me... Not as me... good. It's short Circuit is better, but more racist. Yeah, I mean, what surprised me about Mac and Me was the incredible production values. It looked like they spent loads of money making it. It was beautifully shot. Like, all the locations were like, oh, I haven't seen, like, the Hollywood Hills shown like this before. It looks amazing. <laughs> and then you have the costume designs, which are... The worst. Where it's like, how could <laughs> who who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> but you yeah. can tell just yes, from the story and everything and the quality of the stunts that they thought they were genuinely making a hit here. They they weren't uh, like shitting out like a mockbuster. They they were really trying. Well, part of it, the, there are aspects of it that make it seem better to us and worse to like people who were there at the time. Mm. So like. To us, um, a big part of the charm of the film is its honestly beautiful A-grade soundtrack, which the score for that film would have been suitable in E.T. It would have been suitable in any big film. It's an Alan Silvestri. He never gives half measures. What's the phrase I'm looking for? He he always gives his all. And th- honestly, Mac and Me is one of his best scores, I think. Yeah. You can listen to it. You can, you can hear there's like a... Uh, a kind of a medley version, a kind of an overture version on YouTube that you can listen to that goes through all the main bits of it. And it's just like, yeah, no, this is really good. And so when you sit down to watch it, it just feels like a movie. And sometimes when the fact that it kind of is a crap movie um, push through, it you go like, oh, yeah. But then the music starts up again and you're like, oh, OK, your brain just goes zoink. It's reprogrammed like, oh, this is a film um, to Americans who were there at the time, though they will have seen the trailers, which were basically just Ronald McDonald to camera talking about how we're making a McDonald's movie. Um, And I don't... Everyone talks of it as this McDonald's movie. I disagree with that, because the only McDonald's bit is the bit where they go to McDonald's towards the end. Now, sure enough, go on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it takes an awful long time for them to get to McDonald's, and because you know this is the McDonald's movie, you keep sitting there in anticipation, where's the McDonald's coming in? And then it's like the... The sister character works at McDonald's, but that's just a setup that they don't pay off immediately. You just know that, oh, are we going to get to McDonald's now? Uh, no, not yet. Mm. What I loved the most was how 
everyone is drinking coke all the time and candy and they put all the cans and they hold them so the label is always turned toward the camera (laughs) yeah now you see that i feel did we talk about mac and me just the other day i feel like i've just talked to someone about it yeah it's possible it or maybe this is just what my life is but um yeah when uh as a kid watching it on video um and therefore having no like i didn't expect it to be a good film because i had videos that were really really bad but because they were on video that was inherently exciting in those days. A VHS tape was itself an exciting treat. And um, yeah, when I was watching it, it didn't occur to me there was anything wrong with any of this. Because number one, Coke and Skittles, that is, those are just part, those were parts of my life. Those were things that I knew. So it wasn't like, oh, cynically putting Coke in as if there's Coke in the world. It's like, no, yeah, we all drink Coke all the time. That's that's normal. It's almost it, it's 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 the same as pointing out like, oh, they're all wearing clothes. That's shameless. It's like, no, we always do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just not, and it's funny because you see how pervasive it is. Because it's like, yeah. oh, he goes uh, yeah, to sleep, thing, and there's an like, it's amazing. Yeah, there's like skittles next to his bed. <laughs> <laughs> I never noticed that. Yeah. And then, but then the McDonald's bit where they go to McDonald's, and there's like what must be sort of ten or fifteen minutes of like how great it is at the McDonald's. That was just like, yeah, it is. It's great at McDonald's. Yeah. Because yeah. in those days, McDonald's was as much like a miniature theme park in the middle of a town as it was a, a like a burger restaurant. And you were just like, yeah, that yeah, McDonald's is really good. So it stands to reason that there would be a best McDonald's. And well, here it apparently is because this is the one Ronald McDonald is in. Yeah. <laughs> what, I, what I quite admire about that segment, though, is that Ronald McDonald doesn't steal the show. He's there. And it is the guy who at the time played him in the adverts. But he's not like... They don't meet him and go like, hey, Ronald. And he's like, yeah, I'll help with your adventure. No, he's just in the background, like, hanging around in McDonald's, get, like, giving people burgers and stuff. And it's like, yeah, I guess this McDonald's employed a Ronald. Mc- I, I've been in a, when I was, by that age, when I was, I think I was about three or four years old when I went to a McDonald's where a Ronald McDonald showed up. And uh, and actually, and he, you know, brought some kids up to the front of the restaurant. And I was one of the kids and I attempted to juggle and I won a, a coloring book. And it's like, yeah, so that happens. So to me, I was just watching that going like, yep, yep, this is normal. Okay, they're having a dance sequence, and it's not a musical film, but most other films I watch are, so this is normal too. Yeah. So yeah, I I also recommend Mac and Me. If you can A, get past your disdain of that sort of thing, or B, and this is what I recommend, just enjoy that bit, because it's great. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> the music is awesome in that scene. Yeah. It really is great. It's really, really ATZ. There's, I seem to remember there's like some people who are, there's uh, like, the, there are, all the extras turn out to be dancers, so they're all quite good. But then there's a couple of like standout dancers. I think there's a black guy who does some body popping or something. And there's, there's, is, is it Mac and Me where there's two people who do this weird thing where they like, they thrust their thumbs back and then they start really fast thrusting their thumbs back. And that always used to make me laugh. It might be. It might be. So yeah, Mac and Me. It's a good fit. And then the rest of it is just this cool little wish fulfillment story about like meeting an alien and going up against the government. Like it, like yeah. E.T., only, only more like a, a cartoon. Like, if there was an E.T., the animated series, Mac and Me is like the off brand film of that. Plus, it has my favorite special effect in children's film, which is that right at the beginning, when Mac has first escaped the, the testing place, um, the government place. He is hit by a car 
and you get to see what that looks like from the inside of the car. And basically, he splats like rubber onto the windscreen. So there's this weird, terrifying, flattened out version of him with these giant disc eyes that just spin round and round. And I just was, I thought that was one of the most amazing special effects I'd ever seen. And like, if I put it together with all the special effects I saw across my childhood, the only ones that compare were like, um, the time that woman rips her face off in Beetlejuice, um, or the, oh, or Toad turning into a Goomba in Super Mario Brothers. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. And that car crash, I, that was one of the points where I was like impressed by the quality of the stunts. Later yeah. on, when they're chasing uh, Mac and uh, the main character, uh, the, the agents are kind of running toward the camera and are kind of dodging cars. They're driving at them. Mm. And you can see that it's a dangerous stunt. Yeah, There's... yeah, it's a proper proper car chase sequence. <laughs> and presumably because it was like a less like good film, that makes me think it was more real rather than less. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They probably couldn't rig stuff to stuff. They probably just actually had to get stunt drivers to actually do this. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, we almost can't overstate how entertaining of a movie this is. Because when you go into a movie hearing that it's crap, you expect it to be boring and drag on. This movie isn't really like that. This is the closest to a real movie that a bad movie can be. This is just really misguided in this many isn't, ways. Uh, you couldn't you, you couldn't do it on Mystery Science Theater because yeah. you need films to be kind of boring and and like badly edited for that. This is the the thing that's wrong with this is the basic concept, the alien costumes and some of the acting from the children. But all of that is like what you want out of a dumb film that's fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, we, we almost can't overstate how bad alien costumes are because they are revolting. Yeah, it's not just that they're it's not that they're badly made. It's that they are impossible to empathize with. They are and at first that is a, a bonus because at first they seem to be like almost Slenderman things, like these really creepy, strange beings from another world. The problem is that by the end, you're they're in like human clothes in disguise as humans, like, trying to get through a human, like, world uh, action sequence. And and at that point, they are... It really hits home how unpleasant they are to look at. Yeah, and there's several close-ups, like, when they're in the cave, when you see parts of their body close-up that you would never mm. want to see close. Like, it looks no. like they have, like, diseased, like, plague bulges on them. Yeah. You yeah. see them close-up, and it's like, oh, Yeah, they do. And, and also... Um, at least the dad of the family, they've hired someone who's a very strange, bendy clown performer to, yep. to be in the costume. And there's this moment that I, I always remember at the very start of the film, because I think it opens like on Mars or wherever they live. And there's this one bit where he like, I thinking, picturing it in my head now, I'm going to have to, I'm going to watch Mac and me soon. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited about it again. Picturing it in my head, he kind of staggers towards the camera and, and then, is surprised by something so he sort of staggers and stands to attention and i actually think thinking about it now and picturing it now i think they might have sped up the footage because it's so strange the way they move that that one moves basically that performer was really good and i wouldn't be at all surprised if i found out that he was at, he was one of the one of those popeye circus performers that i'm so into it's that sort of act and like yeah no yeah there's some 
So, and that in a creepy costume is why that bit was good. But then later on, when they are, for instance, like uh, crashing their way through a supermarket, which then blows up in an enormous fireball, yeah. the, the wheelchair kid has to like get away from. It's that. Uh, ha- hang on. Uh, I feel like I need to step back from that phrase. What I meant was the uh, I was trying to say the wheelchair, and then I added kid to that. And unfortunately, it ended up being the wheelchair kid. What I meant was the main child from the film, the main character, happens to be in a wheelchair, both in real life and in the film, uh, which I thought was a quite a refreshing thing. They, I don't know if it, I don't know in what order it happened. Did they? I, I think the story called for a child in a wheelchair, and uh, they hired a child who was really was in a wheelchair, which is great. Yeah, and the way it's portrayed again impressed me because it feels. When they introduce the fact that he's in a wheelchair, it's yeah. done in a very natural, matter of fact oh, yeah, way. Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's never. It's they they do use the fact that there is this wheelchair to contend with in like two bits, and one of them is when he has to get away from this explosion, um, and then the other bit is really famous. Um, but it is never in the in the first half of the film. There's never a moment of like it's not a plot point that he's in a wheelchair. That's just one of his traits. And I, I don't know why there's not more stuff like this. I remember as a kid not taking it as a big deal um, that this that this kid was in a wheelchair because it's just yeah, it's just it's almost expertly presented. Like yeah. that's a, a really good aspect of the film. It's exactly how you would want to do it. There was when yeah. they reveal that he you he's in a wheelchair, you don't have a camera pants in and a sad uh, music or anything it's yep. it's just normal it's like oh yeah oh by the way he's in a wheelchair and then the movie yep. continues and that's just the one a part of him it, yeah just, they don't they don't have i don't even think when people meet him they go like oh what happened or whatever i'm sure that probably does happen but it's not a big deal that's played up no it's it's just taken as oh so you're in a wheelchair. No big deal. I think it's, I think what happens is that they're in the car. I think we first meet the characters, the, the family, in a car. Yeah. And then they stop the car. And then one of them gets the wheelchair out the back, puts him in it, and they just carry on. And it's not... And the conversation carries on through that, and there's no... Yeah, it, it happens a bit into the frame. It's not mm. close up. It's just, mm. oh, here, here's the car framed, and they're getting out of the car, and they're putting him in a wheelchair. By the way, oh, yeah, he's in a wheelchair, by the way. <laughs> and then the it's movie a real, continues. <laughs> it's a real achievement. It's like an actual yeah. moment in, in cinema history that goes unsung. Yeah, I mean, it showed me that no, they they had on some level the heart in the right place, and this is why the movie yeah. is so easy to watch. It it feels like they were real believers made this. <laughs> and uh, the older brother is actually good. He's like a good yeah. actor, and he's good. Yeah. So, so and and so great. So yeah, it's a good film. <laughs> it's not a good film, but it is a good video. And if you can watch it, it with that sort of head on, then it's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, I played a game. Oh yeah, came out this week. Yeah. Yakuza Six. Oh. Yeah. And it's clear that apart from other new Yakuza games, we're kind of used yeah. to. Yakuza games coming out now and it feels like oh this is a good place to start like Yakuza 0 and Kiwami which was the remake of Yakuza 1 you can start with either one of them because Kiwami starts where the first game started and that was the first in the series so I've seen people who start with 0 I've seen people who start with 1 
And you can play either of them in any order you want, and you can start with either one of them. Uh, like I think Kiwami is the worst game, but it starts better. It's much quicker at giving you control over your character and exploring the world. Um, Zero has that kind of one uh, very slow start with many cutscenes. Uh, oh, that's right. Yes, yes, I found it a little bit difficult. Yeah, Kiwami doesn't have that, so I think right. it might be a, a more natural entry point for many people. But anyway, six is not like that. It starts up, following up immediately on the end of five. And then it's like cutscenes where it's like, oh, here's a bunch of characters that were only in Yakuza 3. And it's really important for his character. And it's like, we just assume you played 3, right? And then <laughs> you have other characters come in and it's like, oh, here's this guy from Yakuza 4 and 5. Remember him? We assume you played 4 and 5 too as well. <laughs> well, and now from what, I, from what I've seen, this whole thing is like, presenting itself as the big wrap-up, the big celebration, yes. final one. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, this is uh, the, the send-off of the character. Mm. And it's just the opening couple of hours, if you haven't played every entry in the series, mm. it can be a bit confusing. And there is like a memories menu in the main menu where you can watch recaps of the oh, story really? of every game in the series. But... Uh, I don't really feel like <laughs> you should do that. <laughs> this this feels like more... Um, most people should just go and play all the older ones. But it feels yeah. like if you can push through the opening, eventually, you know, the story starts being more of its own thing and you can, I guess, play it. It's just a, it's a rougher start than Yakuza games have been in a long time. But... There are many, many good things about this. Like, side quests in Yakuza games. In the first game, because it was a PlayStation 2 game in 2005, it was more like normal game side quest, where it was, meh, you had technically a story, but it was a crap story. And then in subsequent entries, they made side quests a little bit better each time. In the second one, for example, there's a side quest where... Uh, adult diaper enthusiasts trick Kiryu into going to their club where they dress as babies and pretend to be babies and uh, women uh, take care of them as their mothers and Kiryu just looks at it and it's like what are you doing and of course it's uh, a bunch of mobster people with uh, sunglasses (laughs) kind of on the ground pretending to be babies it's bizarre it's funny (laughs) <laughs> I'm looking forward to people coming across that quest when they play Kiwami 2 when it comes out in August <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's not something you generally see in games oh yeah and but that was kind of the exception for the quest in Yakuza 2 most of them were just normal side quests and then in 3 they got a bit better 4 get, they got a bit better 5 I think is the point where all the side quests were great they were like real little story arcs. They were very funny. And then in Yakuza 0, most people discovered that, again, the side quests were incredibly funny. And this is something that they're delightfully keeping in 6. Because I was wondering, in 6, they have full voice acting for absolutely everything. You go, you go, to, like, you go to sing karaoke and the person behind the desk 
has all voiced lines and like all the side quests are fully voiced and the, the quality of the camera work and especially the character modeling is better than it was before so it feels more like real cutscenes and so far every side quest character i've met has had a unique character model that isn't part of like the uh, npcs wandering past you mm. in the street and in the npcs that wander past you in the street they haven't started being repetitive yet so there's their higher fidelity and there's more variation than there's ever been before <laughs> oh good yeah I, I, one of the <clears throat> that makes a big difference one of the things that do you remember how i just randomly really enjoyed uh, Watch Dogs and nobody else did. Yeah. One of the things I thought they did really brilliantly well was the extras because they actually had so many, not just unique models, but unique animations that were really visible where they were properly interacting with each other, doing interesting things. Yes. And there were so many of those that I basically never stopped seeing new ones in the entire time I played the game. And you know how long it takes me to play a game. So, uh, yeah, doing doing NPCs right is is really a way that you can add life to your to your city game in that way. Yeah, and there's two cities in this. One is the little fishing town, and then there's oh. the big city that's always in these games. And when I got to the little fishing town, I noticed immediately that the speed people walk at is different than in the town, and the types of people you see and what they do is different. So you get a really oh. different mood. And feel that oh this is complete this is not the big city <laughs> yeah it made it so nice but anyway I mean these games are like big multifaceted things so there's so many areas you can touch on with this but I must th- say I never I never knew that they I thought all the games are all set in the same city I didn't realize they break out into places like that yeah when do they when do they start adding different places uh, from Yakuza too. Uh, Yakuza 2, they added the town that's in Yakuza 0. Uh, it's uh, Osaka. So you have that little river with a couple of bridges. And uh, th- that's they added that in that game. And then in the third game, uh, you have the original city. And then they added uh, Okinawa, which is a th- southern uh, kind of tropical island. So you have uh, uh, oh. beaches and uh, it's very sunny and nice. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. And in four, I need to get right back into playing these games. I'm, you know, I've only on, I've only played zero so far, and I want to yeah. play more of it. Yeah, I've, I've I've forgotten all the buttons. I need to find a guide to the to the fighting so that I can remember how to do it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, f- for most people, it would feel daunting to like, oh, Yakuza Six. You need to play every entry before this, and it feels daunting with a series this long. But I yeah. feel like. The games are so good that it's more like a treat. <laughs> I don't know when when yeah. someone launches like the twentieth entry in a long book series that people says is amazing, and it's like, oh, now I have something awesome to look forward to. It's more like that. Yeah, I mean, I am. I do feel kind of. It does feel. I don't know if daunting is the word. Hopeless is is one way I would put yes. it. But the fact that I'm only on the very start of the first of six famously big long giant games um does make me feel as if i'll never get there they're not that big they're they're like 30 hours each oh i would i must have got the wrong end of the stick then because i thought that um i just thought they were because of how many quests and so on there are that they were super long mind you 
I thought that about The Witcher 3, and I've watched Abby play through all of the content that I played through in the space of about two months recently, so yeah. it can be done. <laughs> yeah, it's only 5 and 0 that are huge. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, all the other ones, I, I went and looked at like my save files, and it's like, oh, 30 hours, 36 hours, and it's like, oh, well, that's that's not a big deal, actually. <laughs> that's great. That's, yeah. that's a perfect time, really. Yeah. So... That's you know that's really lit a fire under me. I'm I want to go straight back into it now because of that. Yeah. Now it feels less less futile to try and get through them. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing about Yuxa Six, you know, graphics improve each console generation. One yeah. aspect of this, one key characteristics of modern game graphics that. I don't feel people talk about very often. I've mentioned it before that like big ass mountains was a key feature of like Dragon Age 3 and Witcher 3. But it's just a general sense of scale is the characteristic of modern games. You go from uh, Dishonored 1 to Dishonored 2. Everything feels massive. And if you play like games on emulators and you have a series like, I don't know, Gran Turismo, you play like uh, PS1, PS2, PS3, PS4, you notice that the older games, they're like little toy cars in a toy universe. And then they feel like, oh, now they're a bit bigger. You have a bigger toy set here. And then it's a little bit bigger. And then you go to the very latest one. It's like, oh, it feels massive. And this is like, I'm seeing these on the same TV, sitting at the same distance. And they're taking up the same amount of screen real estate because they support widescreen. And the newer, newest game just feels huge in comparison. And right. like, is it just the amount of details in the models? Is it the lighting? Is it how they use the camera? I can't tell what it is. Yeah. But this is something you notice with uh, a key characteristic of uh, new games. That everything feels big. And that's the case with Yuxa 6. It feels massive. Uh, the scale of the buildings and everything and the character models just feel bigger now and if when you combine that with like okay you have better sound design the the, the full voice acting it feels like things adhere to the laws of physics people feel better attached to the world like they have Mm. when people walk up and down stairs they properly uh, contort the animation so every footstep lands on the stair step properly that's always good isn't it i'm still impressed whenever anyone in a game climbs a ladder and their hands and feet actually go on them yeah (laughs) and you have a proper physics engine in combat so when people fall over and fly around they uh, turn into rag dolls with weight so they flop around and smash into things that also flop smash with them yeah so when you have that and then you have side quests that are as off the wall and ridiculous as they ever were and you have the voice actor now (laughs) speaking lines and reacting to them and it's completely into it (laughs) (laughs) it makes them even more surreal than they ever were before because now it feels like this is actually taking place in in the same universe as the serious story (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah yeah and it just makes it funnier like yeah you you meet a girl who pops up behind you and says, "Oh, I succeeded in time leaping backwards through time," <laughs> and, ter- <laughs> and then she tries to convince you that, "Oh, I'm a time traveler." <laughs> and it's not <laughs> believable at all. And next time you meet her, 
you, you come to the place where it's like, oh, this is why she leapt back through time. This is like a pivotal moment in her family's history where everything went wrong from this point forward. But now oh. uh, Kiryu's here and can change history. So oh. <laughs> you can save her timeline. This is the reason why she gained her time leaping power to, for this to happen. And it's just a, a wonderful, completely ridiculous little story. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And, like, in, in the little town, they have... Every time in, town in Japan has their own mascot for their city. And it's the same thing with their, this fishing town. And it's the crappiest mascot ever. And, oh no, they're, they're going to have a show for children with the mascot. But the actor has run off, so you have to play the character and Hooray. remember the characteristics for the town and the kind of personality he is and the voice actor has the has to now say lines like like he's a children's entertainer <laughs> just the voice acting in itself made this quest so funny because you have the children which are voice acted well and the main character trying to sound like a children's entertainer <laughs> And the way it plays out is, of course, ridiculous and delightful. And so I just think that this has... I didn't know what effect voice acting would have on the quests. But I think it's all good. Yeah. It's all for the better. It's so wonderful. Side quests now. <laughs> <laughs> They're as well written as they ever were. And they're using the technology properly. <laughs> and there's... Ridiculous attention attention to detail. Like you, a guy who runs a cat cafe needs help finding cats because all the cats ran off. So you have to befriend cats with cat food and stuff. And there, I think there's twenty cats in the game, and every one of the cats have their own noises. Like when you walk down the street and you hear a cat meowing, yeah, everyone has a unique meowing sound. <laughs> because of course you did record I don't know twenty different cats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm having a great time with this. It's wonderful. It's a treat for every anyone who likes this series. It's gonna enjoy it. It's just feels like a wonderful center off here. The only thing that I feel like might be negative for someone is it's a bit more somber and serious in the story so when you start up the game and you think it's going to be a laugh a minute or a, a bunch of uh, hilarious violence oh it's kind of serious <laughs> the first few hours <laughs> but it's i feel it's proper for it it does it well it's a well executed serious story and it's a uh, worthy of a send-off and for the themes they're trying to express because this is something that's novel for games like Yakuza 0 and like in this game and Yakuza 5 these are games with stories that are about something they're trying to say something mm. <laughs> they have themes they're trying to express with their characters and their story it's like real writing <laughs> <laughs> so that's when people complain that oh it's a bunch of boring cutscenes there's so many cutscenes it's like yeah but this is like this is a real story with real, they have movie directors that they bring in to direct these cutscenes. So, sure, it might require a bit of patience, but they're actually entertaining as cinemas in themselves. <laughs> yeah. 
it's just now and then that they drag on a bit. Uh, the, this, the writing isn't uh, that disciplined. That's why the first hour of uh, Yakuza 0 is a bit draggy, because it shows uh, their sometimes excessive writing at its worst at the start of Zero. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'd forgotten that the the, the thing I had trouble with was that they they spend so long saying everything and saying yes. everything multiple times. And Yeah. Yes, you wish someone would just have uh, edited a bunch of those lines out of the script. Yeah. And I feel it's a, just a symptom of how the speed these games are made at because they come out quickly and there's some um, lack of discipline here and there in the editing. And for them, it's just, ah, f- it's good enough, we're putting it out and it works. But if you're coming into it and it starts with the most undisciplined writing, it can strain your patience, but then you get into it, and then you get to the side quests, and then uh, the, the story starts hitting more effectively, and then you, you're you kind of trapped by it, and then you notice that, okay, this is why people like these games. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I haven't finished the game. I played it a lot, but I, I'm, not com- I'm not cramming the game down as hard as some people do. I haven't been playing it like 24-7. I've been playing... As much as I can tolerate in a day. And that's still a lot. Like I imagine, yeah. Yeah, like four or five hours a day since it came out. <laughs> <laughs> and then I feel like I start feeling restless. It's like, nah, I want to do something else. How about I go outside or something for a bit? How about I watch something? How about I do something? And then maybe I return to it later. Most of the times I've gone to sleep instead. <laughs> yes. Like, I watch a documentary about uh, why Iran and Saudi Arabia dislike each other. Like, I'll, I'll do something proper here. I'll learn something about the world. <laughs> yeah. So now I know what the difference between Sunni and Shia is. Although I can't <laughs> remember which is which. <laughs> <laughs> to watch a couple more documentaries. Yeah. Anyway. So, Yakuza 6. It's great. And I've heard that, you know, they... They released a new God of War game uh, yesterday, mm. and that came out, and I felt like, why would someone... I, I'm just mystified, like, why so many people are hyped up for it, given that it's a series where this is the eighth major entry in the God of War series. Mm-hmm. Every one of them has been trash, like, very <laughs> trivial action games with... Action that has never been particularly good, and they haven't been improving it meaningfully from game to game. It's just been the same thing over and over. And I looked at footage of this, and it's like, in like sweeping cinematic shots, it's like, oh, this looks pretty good. And then you see the animations in combat, and it's like, oh no, <laughs> what happened here? <laughs> well, there must be something yeah. in it, mustn't there? Because it does have, it does have fans, and people didn't just like think it was ridiculous that they were bringing out another one. No. And I just feel it's a bit tiresome that I feel like, why don't you do something new? <laughs> but then I looked at who's making it, and yeah. they have been changing uh, developers or between games. So it, it, the reason it's been kind of spinning its wheels is because there hasn't been a continuity of people making it. So this is like oh. people who worked on the first two games on the PS2 are returning and making the new one. Mm-hmm. So they haven't mean, made the five ones between <laughs> that were just higher fidelity versions of the first two games over and over. 
Anyway, it's a, it's a series I find uninteresting and mystifying. So I'm more in the Yakuza camp, where, like, sure, it's the same series, it's the same city, it's the same characters, but what made me so tired of God of War is that it didn't feel like they were examining the game, acknowledging the faults, and making meaningful improvements. Like, I played the demo for the last one on PS3, and it was like, the exact same animations and feel of combat, and it had the same flaws at the, as the very first one, and like, yeah. you should, it should be better. This is disappointing, even for someone who doesn't care. Well, like, in Yakuza, like, in every entry, they, they tweak the interface in every one of them. Like, in 3, 4, and 5, the interface changes in every game. The combat changes in every game. Like, the side quests, what you do changes in every game. Uh-huh. And this, this, the locations and the kinds of story it is changes every time. It's like they, they are taking a step back, critically examining what they're doing, and then having like proper judgment and taste and improving it so you, d- you aren't bored. It doesn't feel like yeah. you're playing the exact same thing every time. And uh, that's... Is it too much to ask for the developers <laughs> of anyone who works on a, a series that started in 2005? Like, it, God of War 1 came out the same year as Yakuza 1. So, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so when the, same, the latest entry comes out the same week, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's fair to compare them, especially when they've, in giant quotation marks, grown up, so it's a, it's a game about fatherhood. <laughs> yeah, now, now, all of that being said, is it not the case that this is the game that is trying to do that? I, seem to, I, see, I think I've heard reports that this one is like quite a significant shake-up of the formula. Yeah. Kind of in a kind of in a way that's comparable to the the Egypt Assassin's Creed where yeah it's not not the formula but it is the it's like what if you thought about the formula and made a proper game out of it Yeah I just didn't wouldn't I didn't want to give them the I, I wanted them to prove to me that that yeah. was the case before buying it blind like I guess many people are doing like this yeah. week because it, I just looked at everyone who worked on it, and it's like, oh, you don't have a track record of anything I like. Like, it's written and directed from the creators of Lost Planet Three, and it's like, <laughs> remember that game came out, <laughs> the venerable Lost no. Planet series. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, oh, what else did you make? Oh, one of the people made some was a consultant for the cutscenes of the 2013 Tomb Raider. And it's like. What does that mean? <laughs> and then they, oh, he worked on like the director of God of War Two. It's like mm-hmm. oh, oh, great, a, a QTE festival that innovated the need to mash the button to open doors and chests that was really annoying. Why should I care about this? <laughs> well, you never know, do you? You never know yeah. to what extent the. Uh, I always wonder whether. <coughs> when you have teams like that and you look at like what have they done before and it was this or that and you don't care about that that doesn't mean they're not good because there's so many steps between what the people making a game do and what they're allowed to do because of the company they're doing it for and and this week is a good week to talk about that because of the um the warhammer thing that's happening what's um, happening with warhammer uh, pardon what's happening with warhammer well, <clears throat> there is a game coming out, which I didn't learn about until this week when this news hit, which is called, I think it's called like Warhammer 40k something something Inquisitor or Inquisition or something like that. And it's basically it's Space Marines Diablo. 
two things that I, that is a formula I think would work for me. I enjoy Torchlight a lot. I played through both Torchlight games. Give me one that's based that's got Space Marines in it, and I'll be very happy. But I only found out about it this week because what happened this week is that it was supposed to come out in a couple of weeks, and they announced that okay, no, we're not going to hit that target. It's not going to come out in a couple of weeks. It's we, we've delayed it for a month. To apologize for that, the team are now working 90-hour weeks. Oh, yeah. And we all went, don't, because we know what that means. No one's going, well, out of the goodness of our hearts, we've decided that we're going to put in 90-hour weeks. No, that some manager has decided that the staff are going to do 90-hour weeks, and he's making them do it, and it's inhumane work uh, treatment conditions. And now, now in the many... Uh, there was a huge tweet thing about this that all of the replies to the news and suddenly like all of the mentions of the company were all about like don't make your staff do this we can wait four months for our space marine diablo it doesn't matter don't kill your team and also even from our perspective from the from the consumer's perspective <clears throat> we don't want a game made under those conditions because it won't be good that'll be that'll be like people who haven't slept that'll be people putting in like, you know, workarounds and shortcuts to try and get things done. Don't, no, don't, don't make them work under those conditions. We don't want that game and we don't want to support that game ethically. Well, during that, there was one uh, team member <clears throat> who seemed to be, I can't remember what his job was now, but it, it wasn't like a coder. It was someone who worked on the either the design or the cutscenes or something, There was the, or a musician or someone. There was someone who... I got the sense would kind of work in a smaller team rather than the overall team. Maybe even he was ahead of something, so he'd be in charge, but I'm not sure. But anyway, he came in and said, no, actually, it really is what what they're saying. We really are doing this ourselves, out of the goodness of our hearts. We love this company. The, the, uh, the atmosphere here is good. It, this is good. This is fine. And still, though, I'm very skeptical about that. And even if he's right, I still kind of don't care and I'm still against it because even if, for whatever reason, they have managed to put together a team of people who, all, all of them unequivocally, are happy not to see their families for a month, are happy not to sleep, are happy not to have the basic things a human body needs to survive and a brain needs... Even if that's the case, it still, very visibly and publicly, creates a precedent that this is what good guy game developers should do. And it isn't, and they shouldn't. Um, we don't want this to be... I know it's already normal, but we don't want it to be normalized. We don't want people to think that this is how developers should act if they're being heroic. Um, no. No, no, no. Yeah. And uh, it feels like yet another case of uh, countless games that have gone through this. Most yeah. Most of the time you don't hear about it until afterwards. And uh, yeah, you, you can work those kinds of hours for a while but then after a time their social lives start fraying their family lives uh, their attention spans their health starts fraying and just the yeah. quality of work starts to degenerate to the point where it's doing more harm than good uh, yeah yeah of course i just watched um an episode of star trek where um the story is that they all start going really weird and really kind of strange and, and and angry and incoherent and they can't think and it's because they're something has happened to them where none of them are getting REM sleep they're sleeping but they're not getting what they need from sleep and it turns out that 
even just that, even just not getting REM sleep, that is like they they did consult uh, the the relevant people for this. That is what happens to you. Imagine what happens because this is twelve hours per day if you break it down evenly, a ninety hour week. Divide that up into seven. It's twelve, and I think is it? Hang on, ninety divided by seven. It's twelve. Well, it's twelve point eight. So we're looking at thirteen hour days. That is too many hours per day, and presumably they. It won't be every single day, so they've probably got a day off. Or maybe not. Or maybe they're working through the night. I don't know. I don't know how it works. Either way, that's too much work for anyone. And I just don't want for a piece of throwaway entertainment about space marines that I'm going to idly click on. Because that's how you play a Diablo game. With yep. the best, Even if you min-max it to the, to the best extent you can, most of the time playing Diablo game, games is idly clicking with your mind wandering. It's, it's a great genre game to listen to podcasts to because yeah. you're paying more attention to the podcast than the game. Yeah, so it's like, oh, you, you ruined your lives so I could sit here and, and idly do something while doing half, something else. Half engage with what you're doing, yeah. yeah. What a great use of human life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now, if he, there is one circumstance where I could even begin to get behind this, and that is if the people involved are being considerably well-paid to do it like more money than usual proper overtime pay like you know like double or or whatever just like really really being paid to do it and it's an option to do it i get then i would consider finding it vaguely an ethical thing to do but i but still i don't think i would yeah anyway we're closing up on the amount of minutes that uh... right i want to say one last thing before we yeah. go then which is that I watched the Steve Jobs movie. Yeah, uh, the the proper one, not the one uh, that came before the Steve Jobs movie that they rushed out and it's terrible. Is that the Ashton Kutcher one? Yeah. Uh, I think that's just called Jobs. Oh, and yeah. um, the I, I watched that one, um, mm. actually. Uh, and coincidentally, I watched it just before they announced this film. And so when they announced this film... The, the one No, it's not a very good film, but Ashton Kutcher really does resemble Steve Jobs in that film. He really does. Really looks just like him. And so when I saw uh, Michael Fassbender, who in no way looks anything like or, or seems to really act anything like Steve Jobs, it was this really weird like, oh, that's weird. Why would they not try and make it resemble the person the film's about who everyone recognizes? Now, having watched it, I'm still not 100% sure about that. But I loved this film. I thought it was so good. I, I, you know me. I watch films in chunks, uh, lunchtime to lunchtime, and it made me. De I was clawing my way to the next lunchtime, desperate to watch more of it. I was really engaged in this film, and uh, I would say that maybe the last section of it was perhaps one of the less exciting bits, um, but. Yeah, I loved it. I loved everything. I loved the approach to it. I loved everything they did. One of the things that I honestly like was really surprised by and, and still am surprised by, and I think this is what helps it to be a good film, is it's not just that they don't pull any punches. Here, this, is, this is not a film that idolizes Steve Jobs in any way. In fact, he's the villain of the film, and he spends the entire film being awful, a horrible man, to the extent, and like more than the social network does. I was really surprised they were allowed to make this film because, like, he's horrible in it in a way that, of course, makes him a way more engaging performance by Michael Fassbender, who's brilliant in it. Everyone's brilliant in it. What I didn't realize is that he has, oh, I've forgotten her name, Titanic Lady. 
Oh, oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I can't remember her name either. But hey, Titanic Lady. <laughs> Titanic Lady um, is a sort of his PA, and she's with him all the time, and she's kind of his his right hand man, as it were, right hand woman, and she's just this long suffering. She has to cover up for what he does. She hides information selectively from him so that he won't blow up about it or react in certain ways. And so, and she really steals the show, but in a way where they're equal stealing the show all the time. They're just, everyone in it is a really, really like really strong performance from everyone. It's great. It's a really good film. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I saw it a while back and I, I kind of expected good things when I saw that. Okay, written by Aaron Sorkin, directed by Danny Boyle. This should be a good combination. And it was. It, it's very dialogue-heavy. It takes place in like a small location in every kind of third of the film. And yeah. I, I really enjoyed the music and pacing. It felt yeah. so easy to watch. It felt like time just flew by as you have like a really long scene. And it's like, oh, I guess... 20 minutes have passed and <laughs> it felt effortless to watch it. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a there was a point where uh I was late for something. I needed to stop watching the film because I'd had my half hour, I'd eaten my lunch and it was time to do something else. And it was the point where I had to stop was just as this this argument breaks out between Steve Jobs and Wozniak and oh, it was I I had to like physically make myself stop the the film. Like it was so engaging. Like I needed to keep watching, but I couldn't. Um, and it's and now I don't know because I did watch the other film, and that was how I didn't know who these people. I didn't know who Wozniak was, mm. but then I watched the other film, and and he was you know a big character in that, and now I know who he is. And so um, so because of that. I knew who he was. I don't know whether this film does a very good job of introducing that character or not. I assume it does because it's a good film. But mm. for me, I already knew who he was, so so I can't really measure. Um, but um, by the end, even though he hardly ever appears in it, he just steps in now and then. You really, really care for this character. And there's such a fascinating um, relationship built up between them, which is that they, they almost can't stand each other. They All they ever do is is argue and like, like almost hate each other, but Wozniak does kind of idolize Steve Jobs in throughout most of it, at least up until the end. And Steve Jobs will do anything he can to like protect Wozniak. It's like it's his baby brother or something. He will he he will never let anyone uh, insult him or like do anything bad to him, except him. And all he ever does is yell at him. It's fascinating, and it makes for a really engaging relationship between these two characters it's a really good film yep (laughs) such a good film it seems to have kind of flown under the radar a bit because yeah i don't see many people talking about it but it's it's really worth watching (laughs) yeah it's just an easy recommendation like oh you want to watch a good movie well steve jobs movie is good (laughs) yeah yeah it's one of those where you just if you haven't seen it and you want to watch a good film and you don't care what it is, that's a good film. And it's not yeah. not if and it's not for this is the other thing that I wondered might be the case. It's not for like Apple worshippers. It's not that's yeah. not who this film is for. Any more than the social network is for Facebook fans. <laughs> <laughs> As if they exist the today. Like find a <laughs> fan of Facebook today. <laughs> 
But at least in in the Facebook in sorry the social network, there's an underlying assumption that Facebook is an important thing and maybe a good thing depending on how you look at it. Mm. Um, but it shows you the rocky beginnings. And, but it's always like with this, uh, and and then they soared to great heights kind of feel. Whereas this almost doesn't care what an Apple computer is. Yes, it does make you. I did come out of it thinking like, oh yes, the launch of the Macintosh was a significant day in history or whatever, but that's because the bad guy in the film says so, <laughs> rather than the film. Um, yeah, it's it's just a good film. It does one of those films that doesn't matter what it's about. It's just, it's just good. That's my opinion. May I haven't gone around looking, because whenever I like something, and I look it up online, people are like, here are the reasons why it's awful. I'm like, oh yeah. And I haven't done that for this film, so I don't know if yeah, there's any opposing view to this neither have i i just kind of watched it it's like oh it's a danny ball movie so i'll watch it and then i enjoyed it and then th that was kind of it <laughs> well i say this because i have seen um detailed explanations of why slumdog millionaire is not a good film but oh. i haven't seen that film so i don't know oh well i, I just watched slumdog millionaire and really enjoyed it and then i haven't right. looked up why it isn't good so <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he's making the next Bond movie, written and directed by Danny Boyle. Oh, really? Like the last, all, all the last Danny, uh, Daniel Craig films have been made by like a committee of blokes. I looked yeah. them all up and it's like a group of like, I don't know, eight people get in a room and hash out a horrible Bond movie. And for the next one, finally, they're getting like, they're not involved in any way. Instead, it's just Danny Boyle and one of his buddies who wrote the, the movie Trance that he also co-wrote and directed. Right. Trance was kind of stupid, but either way, it feels like, oh, so f Daniel Craig is finally going to get to be in a good Bond movie. <laughs> finally. I thought his first one was good. Yeah. Well, the first one showed promise. It felt like, oh, this is actually new. It's Bond is going to be relevant in the world again. And yeah. then... All the subsequent films came out and yeah. it's like, oh no, never mind. <laughs> yeah, they were just at bog standard normal Bond films, weren't they? Yeah. It feels yeah, and the, for the last one, he like he considered like quitting because it was such a horrible, depressing grind for like eight months to film it all over the world with huge, elaborate stunt pieces, and then the uh -huh. story was so stupid. And I can I can just yeah. imagine how like him reading the script on the plane on the way to the next place and just what am i doing with my life i can't i, I can't remember a single <laughs> i've seen all yeah i think i've seen all of them and i can't remember a single thing about them other than the first one which i remember most stuff about yeah it, they really were just stuff and that's such a shame because what a time this is to be making films about international spy stuff like the, it's a time of that stuff and it always had even I know it now it particularly is because you got all of the stuff going on. But even you know, so basically going back to nine eleven, you straight away had this reason for us to be, for the public to be interested in the concept of international stuff, relations, dealings, spies, and they it just didn't make much use of that. Um, so maybe this new one will. Yeah, I mean, you have the correct people involved. And people who feel like they're going to bring so do something interested with this. This is these are not the people who just do a standard bog standard film like the last few ones we've seen. 
These are people yeah. who go from like film to film, making very different things in every every time. Like he made Sunshine, and then he didn't make another sci-fi film. <laughs> Instead, he went and made like Slumdog Millionaire directly after that, <laughs> and then yeah. made S- Steve Jobs. Uh, his Bond film is. It's going. It's going to be interesting, and uh, yeah. like the last film was very deflating to watch. It it felt like oh no, uh, stop making these now. Bring on the next actor, please. Fire all these horrible writers. Yeah, <laughs> but now I'm filled with hope again. Yeah, and like he made the Olympic opening. <laughs> 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 People thought that was good. Anyway, we filled minutes. And, yeah, there uh, we go. That's enough minutes filled. Yeah, we're, we're going. We're going to be off for a couple of weeks because uh, I'm going on vacation and I'm not planning on recording a podcast while I'm in Japan. In Japan yeah. So, and it'll be interesting to see to what extent I remember that. I'll probably oh, yeah. be going like, "Why isn't there a show on this week?" Yeah, you'll tweet me and then I'll answer a few yeah. hours later because I'm sleeping or something. Yeah. No, it'll be like uh, just uh, evening, so I'll, I'll be awake. Yeah, and then I'll, uh, I'm going to walk around the areas recreated in Yakuza games and tweet pictures of uh, what I uh, recognize and uh, what's different. Of course. Yeah, because for some reason I haven't seen anyone do that. But it's Well, lo- make sure you do something really controversial and maybe borderline illegal, but certainly morally reprehensible so that you can be a YouTube star. That's the main thing you have to do when you're in Japan. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll visit their cemetery and uh, dig up a corpse, and then I'll walk around the st- street uh, uh, making fun of uh, that guy, and th- that'll be great. <laughs> yeah, that I think I think that'll go down very well. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>